Hey y'all, it's Bree. On today's episode of The Feeding Pod, Olivia and I are going to talk about our journeys to becoming certified lactation counselors and the differences between being a CLC and an IBCLC. We're going to talk about the scope of practice and ethics that go with each role, and then we go through some case studies. Olivia and I will both present a case study where we felt that being a lactation counselor provided an additional level of support to help a family. We hope you walk away with this feeling inspired to learn more about breastfeeding, as well as hopefully better understanding of the differences between a CLC and an IBCLC. Well, let's jump right in. Welcome to The Feeding Pod. I'm Bree, your co-host. I'm a speech-language pathologist and certified lactation counselor. I work with infants and medically complex patients with PFDs in the home and outpatient settings. I enjoy building relationships with families and I'm a firm believer in providing interdisciplinary care. I also love providing mentorship and support to upcoming and new clinicians on pediatric feeding disorders. You can find more about me on my Instagram at pediatricfeedingslp or on my website, pediatricslplibrary.com. And I'm Olivia, co-host, registered dietitian, nutritionist, and certified lactation counselor. I work in a pediatric clinic where I get to divide my time between working as a CLC and an RDN for infants and children. I enjoy being able to help caregivers navigate through these difficult times that include the newborn phases all the way through the teenage years. I feel that my personal experience from having a newborn who's now a toddler and a child with special needs, including a feeding disorder, really come into play. We are here to bring you multidisciplinary, evidence-based information that is easily accessible about pediatric feeding and swallowing disorders. We understand firsthand the importance of collaboration and how difficult it can be to navigate the ever-changing information on assessment and treatment of pediatric feeding disorders. The Feeding Pod is here to provide research, support, and a dash of comic relief. Now, let's dive right in. Disclaimer, all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. This is intended to be educational in nature and does not replace the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment from a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome back to the feeding pod. In today's episode, Olivia and I are going to just kind of go into what is the difference between a CLC and an IBCLC? What are the pathways to become one versus the other? And just kind of our journeys on working toward this and why we felt that it was important to add to our um, education, our toolkits to be able to provide um, services to individuals. So Olivia, if you want to start, why don't you kind of go into your background, just a quick, you know, review of your background and then um, kind of why you decided to move forward with it and what your journey looked like. Yeah, so I started, of course, as a background in nutrition and dietetics. So I have the registered dietitian credentials. I got my master's in nutrition. Um, From there, of course, I worked in the clinical setting for a while. During my internship, I actually got to go to NICU and work with a lactation consultant there. She was an IBCLC and kind of started getting my 
brain pick towards, hey, that sounds like something fun. Um, from there, of course, typical dietitians, we all take our first role as a clinical dietitian in a hospital. That just seems to always be the way things go for dietitians for the most part. And they always kind of ingrain it in your brain that, hey, you need like one year of good clinical experience before you branch out into anything else you do. So I started with that, worked for about five and a half, six years in the clinical setting, and then jumped over to pediatrics with Brie, of course. Um, and then from there, it's almost like the doors kind of opened up to where, oh, hey, having this CLC would probably help with some of my patients. Um, goes towards continuing education work for dietitians. So that was kind of another thing that motivated me to do it. That's 52 hours that I can get as my continuing education. As a dietitian, we have to have 75 hours of continuing ed every five years. So, I mean, I can knock out well over half with this coursework. So that was kind of one driving factor of why I decided to become a CLC. Now, along the way, other things kind of fell into my lap. So now I'm actually working in a pediatric office and I am a CLC for two days out of the week. And then I am a registered dietitian for one day out of the week there. I see their medically complex kiddos as far as the dietitian standpoint comes from. So their tube fed kiddos, um, cystic fibrosis kids, any type of GI issues, I'm usually seeing them. Um, as far as my CLC work goes, I'm seeing just all the new moms that come in that are breastfeeding and anyone that just wants help. Um, so I do, or I'm, I don't officially have the CLC credentials yet. I have taken my exam. I'm in that lovely. Hopefully, hopefully you will when this releases. <laughs> but just so everybody knows, we're we're recording it yeah. in July. So <laughs> yes. Um. So actually, the pediatric office wants me to get IBCLC certified. So I'm working as a CLC or as a lactation consultant to get my thousand hours, um, which we're gonna go through different pathways to get IBCLC. Um, but one thing having my CLC has helped with is I'm not gonna have to do 95 hours of coursework. Um, my coursework is gonna be cut down. So right now I'm kind of planning on, okay, I'm getting my practice hours in right now at the pediatric office. And then I'm actually expecting another baby coming up in September. So while I'm out on maternity leave, because you know, we have so much time when we're out on maternity leave, I'm going to knock out the rest of my coursework hours that I have to get. Um, but I kind of did this because with my nutrition background, I get to talk about all of the nutrition benefits of breast milk, but now I can kind of broaden my scope of practice and I'm not only able to talk about just the nutrition benefits of it, but I'm also able to help the moms be successful with their breastfeeding. Um, I think that's kind of why I got into it and where I am, where I am right now. Yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of give a little bit of my background too, in case, especially in case there's any listeners that are hearing for the first time. So um, I'm a speech language pathologist and started 
focusing in on pediatric feeding disorders, I mean, immediately after graduation, even somewhat during my last clinicals um, in graduate school. And so when I started getting into that world, though, I really, I mean, I realized that my primary interests were with infants and medically complex children. And so by seeing more and more infants and getting younger and younger with the infants that I was seeing, breastfeeding just became like pertinent to my caseload. And so I took a few courses, of course, um, in order to prep myself on breastfeeding, but I still felt that there was pieces missing. Like I just didn't fully understand the lactation side, the mom side, things that may be going on in that dyad um, of, of when there were breastfeeding. So I, I kind of was like, you know, I need more support in this what's an avenue to approach this. And so that's kind of where I said, all right, I want to move forward with the coursework, the competencies, all that stuff to become a CLC. Um, so I do want to mention really quick, because I get this question a lot when people ask about CLC and an SLP, I bill my services as an SLP. So I am seeing the child and working to improve their feeding skills. However, this is a complementary tool that I can use to then support them. Um, however, this varies a lot depending on the setting you're in, the policies, what, like Olivia said, some days she's billing as a dietitian, some days she's billing as a CLC. What is your role and responsibility at that moment? Um, so my role is as a speech language pathologist, that's what I'm doing. However, this, uh, this is something that can just accompany my skill set. Um, so I'm currently working in homes and in the clinic setting, primarily in homes, which I really, really like doing, especially with these breastfeeding infants. It's just so great to be able to see them in the natural environment rather than coming in, working on some strategies, and then they go home and you're just not even sure if it's working. Um, like I love that, you know, if something that they want to try is while laying in bed in sideline, awesome. I can do that because we're there. Um, so, I mean, really, I just, I, I felt that it was something that was really, really important. If you are wanting to, as a speech therapist or occupational therapist, feeding therapist, um, dietitian, if you are someone that wants to work with infants and you want, and like breastfeeding is going to happen. And it's really important with the benefits of breastfeeding that hopefully we're all aware of that we feel, um, competent in being able to support, um, parents on that journey. So, uh, yeah, I just, I felt like it was really great for supporting that infant caregiver dyad. And so while I'm working with the infant on developing skills, making the feeding experiences positive, I can also support the caregiver from their side as well. So um, kind of go into, we've both talked about like the specific CLC course we've taken. Of course, there's a few that you can do. Um, we'll talk about the pathways and how we chose ours. Um, but just real quickly, both Olivia and I took the CLC course through Healthy um, Children's Project, which is the centerforbreastfeeding.org. Um, so that's where you can find it. It'll be in our show notes. I'll have those links in there. Um, but basically what this entails is it's 52 hours of continuing education. There are competencies that you have to do. Um, some of them are online, which, because we both took the online course, of course, because of COVID, um, not everything was in person, but used to be that their course was five days in person on the last day you did your competencies and exam. Right now, um, I can speak as of now, they're still offering those online courses and uh, highly recommend. It's It was very, very beneficial. And um, I love in-person courses, but I think they did it really, really well um, for being an online course of, 
of such long hours. <laughs> yeah, and they also had office hours, so that was helpful yes. if you didn't have questions. So you yeah. could hop on a Zoom call for office hours. Mm-hmm. So they kind of gave you still a little bit of that in-person yeah. um, type experience. Yeah, agreed. So they really, I think they, they did a really great job of setting that up to make sure everyone still felt supported. Um, so you have online competencies um, related to infant weight gain, contraindications to breastfeeding and ethics. And then on the phone, you had to do competencies for hand expression, and then you had three breastfeeding counseling calls. And so you had to pass those competencies before you were allowed to um, apply to be able to take the exam. The exam, they say, can last up to three hours, but most of the people I've talked to, it's at two hours or less um, all in. But just so you all know of from a, a time perspective of what the exam is. Does that kind of set cover, you know, the course that we took, Lovia, is there anything else you would yeah. add to that? Yep. That covers what we did. Okay. So I'm going to go through the different pathways to get the CLC, and then I'll let you take over on the IBCLC because you've done a lot more research on that since that's kind of the avenue you're going towards. So the pathway that um, both Olivia and I did was the comprehensive pathway. And so this is a designed for a person looking to take a single comprehensive course that covers all the skills and competencies needed for breastfeeding counseling and human lactation. So when you take a course, it has to be one that is approved by one of the approved training partners, and it has to be approved by the Academy of Lactation Policy and Practice, which is the ALPP. So you'll hear us talk about that um, throughout this. So when I'm talking about approved, it has to be approved by the ALPP. Um, And these courses have to meet 52 hours of training based on the WHO and UNICEF breastfeeding counseling training course. Um, And it has to be worth a minimum of three college credits and demonstrate the competency and skills required to provide safe evidence-based counseling for pregnant, lactating, and breastfeeding people within the context of the course. Um, And so by taking the course that's by an approved provider, you know you're meeting all the criteria you have to to be able to sit for the exam. So if you don't do one of those courses, the other pathways are the aggregate or the alternate. So with the aggregate pathway, you can sit for the exam if you provide documentation saying that you are currently a licensed health professional um, or you hold a bachelor's degree or higher, proof of completion of a minimum of 42 hours of education within the past year that relates directly to the WHO and UNICEF breastfeeding counseling training course. Um, So it may be collected from different courses, but it has to meet that criteria. And you have to show proof of mastery of the skills and competencies necessary for breastfeeding counseling through directly supervised lactation care. So in this this pathway, you really have to rely on someone who can be considered a supervisor that's going to see you through that as well as making sure that those hours um, count directly for it. And that can be a little bit uh, fuzzy if you don't take one from an approved provider, but that um, is another one. And so if you meet those three criteria, then you can submit to the ALPP to be able to take the exam. And so you have to include your application, certificates and transcripts for the education course, academic contact checklist, counseling skills attestation, application resume, resume of counseling skills from the supervisor, license type, number, or transcripts, and a signed candidate application. So it takes a lot more just to be able to apply for the exam um, than if you've gone through one of the more comprehensive, gone through the comprehensive pathway. 
Um, yeah, not to say it's not possible, but <laughs> yeah, technically, I mean, Bree and I could have gone this route. Um, but just the work that you have to put in to show all of this is just ridiculous. So why not just go ahead and pay the five, $600? I can't remember how much the right. course was on the top of my head. And it just made it 10 times easier. Agree. Because they take care of all of that for you. And I, I really chose to take the course, like do that pathway from approved providers from the ALPP, because I knew the courses I were taking is everything I needed. And I truly came out of there. Like, wow, I feel like completely equipped, of course, always going to continue, um, learning. And we'll talk about that in a minute of the continuing education requirements, but, um, it just made, it just like made me feel confident that I would walk out of there knowing the things that I needed to. So the other one is the alternate pathway. And so um, to qualify to sit for the exam using this, you have to be a graduate of a commission on accreditation of allied health education program, approved post-secondary lactation consultant program. So just as I mentioned before, all the different things that you're going to have to show, it's very, very similar um, when you submit your application. So you're still going to have to show that like you had the counseling skills supervised. Um, you've completed all of those programs um, and a resume, all of that stuff. So again, it's sort of one of those things where it, it's probably just easier to pay for the course, know that you have the continuing education that you need for it, and then move forward. So comprehensive, alternate and aggregate um, with continuing education. So once you go through the entire process, you finish your competencies, you take your exam, and now you are like, okay, I have my license. How do I maintain it? The continuing education requirements are that you get 18 hours every three years. Um, and also starting in last July, so July of 2020, ALPP will accept up to three of those hours specifically related to social justice, racial justice, racial inequalities, and discrimination bias or prejudice in the healthcare field. Um, so, you know, 15 of your 18 hours still need to be specifically related to breastfeeding and lactation, um, but three of them can be um, on the social and racial um, topics. So um, that's the CLC. I kind of whizzed through that, but again, there's going to be show notes. So <laughs> you all can, um, reference the things we're talking about. Uh, but yeah, anything else to add to that, Olivia? You feel like that kind of covered? All yeah. Of I think that covered it all. Okay. Awesome. Basically. I mean, the pathway we took is the easiest pathway to get to it. I think one big difference between CLC and IBCLC would be the fact that most of your CLCs are going to come from some type of medical field background. Um, mm -hmm. So pretty much all of us have either like a RD, SLP, um, OT, RN, OT, some type of other medical yeah. background. Mm -hmm. credential. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. And I think that just really helps set you up for success um, to be able to like understand the information as well as um, I think better counseling skills, you know, like we just counsel on the daily with our patients already. And so that really helps with it. Yeah. All right. So going into the IBCLC pathways, and then after you go through that, we'll, we'll talk about the difference between the two and, um, the yeah. similarities and differences. So for IBCLC, there's also three different pathways. 
they're labeled a little bit easier. Um, you have pathway one, pathway two, or pathway three. so you don't have um, alternate and aggregate and um, compromise. You just have pathway one, two, or three. Um, so just going into the different pathways, when we look at pathway one, typically these are going to be your, um, I guess, already established healthcare providers. So once again, someone like myself or Brie, we already have some credentials and some type of medical background. Here's the big kicker with IBCLC. So on pathway one, you have to have 95 hours of lactation specific education. Um, and they want this to include five hours focused on communication skills. Um, so I'm guessing with the communication skills, this is going to be more with like counseling skills. It doesn't truly say what it is, um, but it says, okay, with communication skills. Um, next on, after you've done 95 hours, which this can be with your clinical practice hours as well, but you have to have a minimum of 1,000 lactation specific clinical practice hours in an appropriate supervised setting. All this has to be done within five years prior to you sitting for the exam. So it can't be, oh, I'm going to do a few hours here, a few hours there, and it takes you eight years to get it. Um, that thousand hours has to be done within five years. Same for that 95 hours of lactation specific training. So whenever they say a clinical practice, they're looking for hospital experience, birth center, community clinic, lactation care clinic or practice, primary care, pediatric office, things like that. So for example, right now, this is kind of the pathway that I'm taking. I am going to do my thousand hours in the pediatric clinic and I'm going to finish out. So 52 of my hours are complete because of my CLC. Um, lactation specific education. So that counts for 52 hours. So now I only have 40 something. I can't do the math off the top of my head right now. Hours left to do. I was trying um, to do it quick too. And I was like, uh, <laughs> I think I've got down though somewhere. I don't know. But anyway, so I've got 40 something hours left. 43. I think that's 43. Yeah. This is C. This is why we do science. We don't do math. <laughs> or we use uh, calculators when we're doing math. <laughs> very true um so this is kind of the route that I'm going um as far as where to find where you can get the coursework um I'm just gonna do mine through the IBCLC website that's just where I'm gonna do all their approved classes that they have there's three different approved ones that they have one provides all 95 and then the other two, I want to say are like 52 hours each. One might be 53, but I'll do one of the 50 something hour courseworks that they have that's pre-approved um, just so that makes it easier. But you can also kind of follow the same guidelines as far as approved, whatever, if you want to go out on your own and search for different classes. Um, I think that's important too. Like, I think when you are in the early stages of seeking a certification, it's really good to go for those courses that are approved by the certification 
party because you know that they are targeting what it is that they want to target and it's going to provide you a good foundation. So once you have that and you do your continuing education, you can better tailor it to meet the needs of the clientele you're seeing. But I feel like initially those types of courses are worth it because you're building your foundation of learning. Yeah, you're not going out finding things on your own, A. And then B, let's say you submit for it and it says that it's supposed to be approved, but what happens if they don't approve it? And then you've got to take more hours. Um, It just seems like, why don't you just go ahead and do one of the things that they have already set out for you? Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of pathway one. You got to get your thousand hours and you've got to get your 95 hours of continuing education. Um, and then you've got to have a background of some sort of medical. So RN, RD, SLP, OT, something of that sort. Um, then you've got pathway two. So the cool thing about pathway two is this can honestly be for anyone. So let's say I doubt we have really any high schoolers listening to us, but let's say we have a high schooler listening to us. This would be a pathway that a high schooler could take once they've graduated out of high school. And it's basically doing an academic program in lactation or breastfeeding that's accredited by the Commission on Accreditation of Allied Health Education Programs, um, which I think that's also one way that you can do the CLC as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, you're correct. Um, you still have to do your 95 hours of lactation-specific education, including the five hours focused in communication skills um, within that five-year period. The kicker on this one is you only have to have 300 hours of directly supervised lactation-specific clinical practice. Um, which I'm guessing most of these, if I did my research, would be, for example, I know Winthrop has a breastfeeding, Winthrop University, it's a college, has a breastfeeding as a major or breastfeeding specific whatever thing. And I'm sure that they would somehow include like a 300 hour, um, what would you call it, internship? Yeah, clinical practicum or yeah. 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 So I'm sure most of the programs are set up that way. So basically this would be, I'm going to college specifically a breastfeeding, lactation, whatever you want to call it, because I don't know what different programs are going to call it. Um, I want to say Winthrop is breastfeeding support or something. I could be completely wrong on that. So that's your pathway too. And that's just basically, you're going to go to school to be a lactation consultant and that's what you chose. Um, so this is kind of the way of, this is one difference between CLC and IBCLC, which we'll go more into detail about that. So then that leads you to pathway three, which pathway three is a pathway that I could have taken. And this is more of a mentorship program. So this one, yeah, you would still have to come from that health sciences education background, um, you have to have the the minimum of 95 hours of the lactation specific education. The kicker on this one is it only requires 500 hours, but it has to be directly supervised lactation specific clinical practice. So I do work with an IBCLC, but we work on different days. So she can't directly supervise me. Um, and you have to actually apply for this and it has to be approved by the IBCLC, um, 
code of professional conduct, yada, yada. They have to approve this person to be your mentor, basically, is what they have to do. So you have to put in how you're going to do your 500 hours, who's supervising them. Um, and this person has to show how they're going to supervise it. Are they going to supervise it over Zoom? Are they going to supervise it in person watching you? But basically this person has to be in the room while you're seeing patients somehow, whether it's virtually or whether it's directly with you. Um, so that's kind of the issue and why it's hard to go this route versus pathway one. Kind of makes um, me think of like when we had internships or clinicals, like a 16 week placement where someone was directly supervising you that entire time. Um, If you were like full-time with them, 16 weeks or whatever, um, that's kind of more of what that makes me think of. So for any professionals that are already working and need to be working, not as ideal as maybe someone who, you know, can take 16 weeks to just be with someone. And every state has different laws regarding like CLC and IBCLC um, things for us. Luckily, the state of South Carolina, they view CLCs and IBCLCs as the same. Mm -hmm. Um, I can still practice as a lactation consultant underneath the doctor Mm -hmm. until let's say I get my credentials, um, which is kind of a cool option for the state Mm -hmm. of South Carolina. So I would just file as a red, I would sign my notes as a registered dietitian, but they would file for the lactation codes underneath the doctor, because technically the doctor signs all of our notes, no matter what. Anyway. um, Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. And that's where I like when I talked about billing earlier, like so much of it (laughs) just depends on the state you're in, the setting you're in, where you're at, like all of those different nitty gritty. Yeah. Cause it's actually, um, come to find out that some states as a registered dietitian, you can't bill for lactation services, even if you've had a CLC or IBCLC. There are just certain states that don't allow registered dietitians to provide lactation services. Wow. Like you had to pick one or the other kind of thing. That's crazy. All right. Well, now that we've kind of talked about how to get there, Let's talk about the differences. So training, obviously we talked about, but um, just to kind of quickly go into a refresher on it. So um, some of the parts are the same, some are different. So for IBCLC, um, you have to take, you know, the 90 hours of education of approved breastfeeding education. And then you also have to have the hours of supervision. Um, And so either direct supervision, 500 hours through a program for 300 hours or indirectly, but still supervise, like still have a supervisor for the thousand hours Um, to become a CLC while you don't have to have those hours yet, which is why, kind of why it's a great um, first step into getting it, you still have to pass competencies. And in the IBCLC, you don't have to necessarily pass specific competencies on different topics. So there is the exam that you sit for at the end to be able to get it, but you don't have to do those counseling competencies. It really goes on to um, getting your hours or having that supervisor sign off that they feel that you've met criteria. Um, so a little bit different in, um, in that realm. Is there anything else I'm missing from that? I think that's pretty much it between the difference on the pathways. And I, 
I think that's why everyone says IBCLC is like the gold versus CLC mm-hmm. is it basically comes down to, okay, when you look at it on paper, IBCLC is requiring 95 hours of continuing ed um, and then the practice hours, whereas CLC only requires the 52 hours and competencies. Right. And I think too, one difference <laughs> in terms of some of the training side of it is with the CLC program, they require that you establish a solid base of evidence-based knowledge and skill based on who and UNICEF, whereas the IBCLC, their their, um, prior certification and education come from various different sources. So you don't, like one IBCLC might not have the same training as another IBCLC. So having that CLC training at least provides that foundation of evidence-based practice consistently across those who have it. Yep. I'm going to let you kind of go into the next part, which is the the scope of practice. So the scope of practice, basically there's two different entities. Um, So CLCs and IBCLCs, they have clear scopes of practice, but they're regulated by two different I don't know what you want to call it, companies. Parties, (laughs) yeah. So for the IBCLC, um, that is overseen by the IBLCE, which is International Board of Lactation Consultant Examiners. Um, So they have their clear defined scope of practice through them, whereas CLCs um, use the Academy of Lactation Policy and Practice, so the ALPP. That's what Bree was saying. You'll hear us refer to ALPP a couple times throughout. Um, so that's kind of the big difference. Um, because there's really more, yeah, there's more similarities than there are differences. (laughs) Yeah, there's not really, I would say there's no true difference. I know for us in the state of South Carolina, a CLC has the same scope of practice. Technically, we can mm-hmm. use the same billing codes that yeah. an IBCLC can use. Um, like so they're all they're the same. And there's yeah. no difference because we're going to use the same codes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're similar in terms of like the task can include <laughs> assessment, advocacy, education, counseling. Like there's the actions and responsibilities within the scope of practice are very similar. They just might use slightly different wording in their document. (laughs) Yes. But essentially their scope of practice is very similar, very same. Um, But it goes on like to mention, for example, let's just say I wanted to go in and provide, let's say my services in the NICU. I would not feel fully trained to do that with my just RD and CLC credentials. Um, That's just kind of, and I don't know, maybe once you do the IBCLC, maybe they cover that more. I don't know because I haven't done the coursework yet um, and taken the classes for IBCLC versus CLC, but there's no clear definition that an IBCLC can go straight into the NICU as well. Right. And I, within the CLC, so like the ALPP's document does acknowledge that as a CLC, you may hold other credentials that you can use to perform different activities. So like when I'm providing 
um, services from an SLP standpoint, or you're providing services from an RD standpoint. So the ALPP acknowledges that, whereas the IBLCE document doesn't necessarily acknowledge that, and they just strictly focus on the lactation side. Yep. Um, All right. Then goes, I guess, into like the skills and competencies that we were talking about earlier. The ALPP requires us as CLCs to show and pass these competencies. Um, the IBCLC, you just have to have the practice hours. Um, so furthermore, there's no real, I guess, difference between skills and competencies coming out between yeah, the two that have been off, defined. It's often thought about as like CLC being entry level and that the IBCLC, like you said, is like the gold standard, like it's an advanced yeah. level, but in actuality, it's not, it's just different pathways to get to the same, um, to get to the yeah. same goal. Yep. I mean, I would probably feel coming out of both programs the same as far as the coursework goes. I might feel a little bit better going out on my own newly fresh as an IBCLC because knowing that I had all those practice hours. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and I think that part, yeah. And I think that just plays a role, a role into like your personal, like not your personal, but like the ethics side of it. So like, yeah. yeah, if I just took the CLC course, I wouldn't be like, okay, yep. Let me just go see all the infants. You know, I would have a great foundation, but I still think it's important to make sure you've done observations, had some mentoring and supervision along the way before you just go completely out on your own. And that is for me, an ethical realm, not that your roles and responsibilities are different. You are well-equipped to do both, but, um, I think, yeah, I agree. That's the, probably the yeah. difference. And just to go off like on a tangent here. Hopefully this one doesn't last long. But as a dietitian and as a speech therapist, we both do internships. So during those internships, that would be similar to those thousand hours. We learn how to chart on the patient. We learn how to do all of that. I will say that was my biggest issue that I had with the CLC coursework. Coming out of it, I, I didn't know how to chart on a patient or anything like that. So I had to learn that through the other lactation consultant that I'm working with. Oh, well, how are we going to chart this? And I'm sure it's different for every lactation consultant on how they chart because there's not an entity that oversees how your charting is done mm -hmm. um, per se. I think it's basically you just do however you're taught as far as charting goes. And then you just make sure that you have those certain wording in there to be able to code for those certain mm -hmm. lactation services. Right. And like um, you said, I think it's different if you're like in the NICU versus yeah. at a PCP office or at a community center or things like that. Yep. Um, the next part is like talking about counselor versus consultant. Um, so as defined, a counselor is a person who gives like as defined by Miriam Webster, a counselor is a person who gives advice. A consultant is defined as one who gives advice or services. So they're literally listed as synonyms in the dictionary. So designation of consultant versus counselor, like it doesn't, neither one applies lesser ability. They are both, um, both terms are, are equal. <laughs> Pretty much the same. Yep. Yeah. They just wanted to come up with some way to call it different. <laughs> I mean, the reality it boils down to there really needs to be just like one agency over it and it would be a lot easier. Um, but 
I mean, what's to say one's better than the other? I, I couldn't tell you which no. one's going to be better than the other. I think they both have their benefits and they both have, you know, their downfalls. Like I said, I came out of my CLC not feeling prepared. So I'm basically training for the next four weeks until I go out on maternity leave um, to make sure that I'm trained. So whenever I go back, I can be completely by myself and feel okay being by myself and just being able to have that person to lean on whenever I need them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where, like, from the other standpoint, like I had been working with a lot of infants, not from the breastfeeding side, but from the oral skills, bottle feeding, um, and, and a little bit of breastfeeding in conjunction with that before. So taking the course then made me feel more competent to move forward. So I think that really goes into like us reiterating the fact of like, while there is no difference in the knowledge side of it, you need to still make sure that you are comfortable with providing yeah. the service because getting those observations, getting that like hands-on learning is so important. And so even like taking either route, you're going to have a really good foundation, but the IBCLC requires you get those hours of learning, which after the CLC you should be doing anyway. Um, so it kind of just moves you along to the next step sort of. (laughs) And to kind of touch on why I'm doing IBCLC it's not because I believe that one thing is better than the other. It's simply because the practice that I will be hired on with believes that IBCLC is better just because there's just that whole stigma out there that the CLC is entry level and IBCLC is way up high. Um, like I said, billing, that's not going to change anything. Um, apparently it will change my pay rate. So I'm going to, of course, that is an incentive when they're like, oh, we'll revisit your pay whenever you get your IBCLC credentials. Okay. So it's, you yeah. know, there's, and I, I think that that's one of those things where like, if that, you know, even speaking for other people, if that's a goal of yours, then awesome. But coming from, you know, as us talking about as a dietitian, as a speech therapist, you know, as an OT, as a, you know, PT, like whoever, whatever other health professional you are, if you're just interested and you're like, what do I do? And you look at them both and you're like, oh my goodness, the IBCLC, that's going to take me like five years to get a thousand hours, get the CLC that is going to put you on your way. If that is a goal of yours, and you're going to have a great foundation to go ahead and start seeing those patients with way, way better clinical skills. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I know we both wanted to share a case study. So do you want to go first? You want me to go first? It doesn't matter. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Okay. So I'm going to talk about a little one and this is specific as to why I felt that the CLC was really helpful in supporting me and being able to provide services to this family. So, um, this was an infant that was born at 35 weeks, diagnosed with Down syndrome. Um, They had an NG tube in the NICU because they were having a lot of difficulty with latching and trying to breastfeed. Um, They attempted a bottle feed, but it was just a mess. And mom's goal is to breastfeed. And so she didn't really want to push it. Was discharged with a G tube um, and breastfeeding about 50% of the time during the day. Everything else was coming through the G tube. Um, However, it was all... um, it was breast milk and they were, um, what's the term I'm looking for? 
using a little bit of formula to, to supplement. Yeah. Supplement. Gosh, the word just like disappeared for me. So they're supplementing with a little bit of formula, um, just to support weight gain. So this little one's coming to see me now at two months old chronological age. They, um, mom reported that the infant broke, um, her left femur during birth. And so they were pretty much just laying on their right side or back for like eight weeks straight right after birth. Um, so big preference to the left breast because they like to lie on their right side, showing some signs of torticollis and a flat spot on the back of the head. Um, but they are receiving PT at this time. Um, and we're getting ready to have an evaluation with OT as well. So mom is highly motivated to breastfeed. And this is really, really important when you are providing lactation services, especially, um, you know, as an SLP, who's going to be seeing a lot of those medically complex kids, you need the caregiver to be very motivated. So mom was super motivated. She was like, I want to do this. And I was like, we're going to do it. <laughs> so because I had this CLC training, I was able to not only provide the support from my SLP of SLP side of, you know, improving the, um, suck, swallow, breathe coordination, working on the oral motor skills, working on the strength, working on the endurance, but also could, I felt better equipped to improve positioning, to have strategies, to improve latch, to support mom in reading the infant's cues during breastfeeding. And with down syndrome, we really have to consider low tone, which is going to lead, it's going to lead to fatigue because they have to work that much harder. Um, and when mom had first come in, she was, you know, breastfeeding about 50% of the time and had to use a nipple shield the entire time for every single latch. Um, she was just like, there's just no way she will latch without it. Um, that's what they did in the hospital. That's how they got to be discharged. And so that's how she was. And so I had talked to mom too about like, did you want to get rid of the nipple shield. She's like, I didn't even know that was an option. So we made that a goal as well. Cause mom's really excited about that. Um, from the CLC side, I was able to really support her in hand expression, um, working to establish a better supply. So pumping after feeds to make sure that we're maintaining that supply, especially since at this point, she's not able to breastfeed for all of her feeds. So we got to make sure that that's keeping up. So, um, also working to make sure we're pumping so that we're totally emptying the breasts because this infant is not staying on to the point of being able to, because of their fatiguing. Um, so once we worked on all of that and, and I, I like to bring this case up too, because sometimes it's just little changes that can make a huge difference. So, um, you know, paying attention to the fact that there was a side preference because the infant broke their femur during birth and was laying on one side for a long time. Of course, that's going to be a preference. So what position can we do to completely, to almost mimic that positioning? Um, sideline was really, really beneficial. And so we worked on supporting that sideline, um, worked on mom, like when we're thinking about latching, we're not going to be putting our hand on the back of the child's head and just like you know, she was really at this point, she was like sandwiching the breast into the infant. And so we really worked on like slowing that down, letting the infant come working on skin to skin. And mom was wonderful. She was so, like I said, she was so motivated. Um, and that makes a huge difference. So with this case, while I feel that my SLP training would have been helpful in terms of building the infant skills, there are so many things when it comes to latching and positioning um, and expression, pumping, all of those parts of it that 
are essential to, to helping this caregiver. And so without those pieces of the puzzle, I don't feel that I would have been able to provide these services as effectively. And so with my, with having the CLC, I felt that I wasn't also going to have to now refer mom to another provider because I would have, if I didn't have my CLC, I would have said, Hey, I can really help this infant side, but I think there's other parts such as keeping up with your supply, working on that latch a little bit more that we really need a lactation consultant to help with. So it really helped to where this mom now doesn't have to go see another, yet another provider, um, to be able to support on that breastfeeding journey. And I can note that after eight weeks, um, um, the infant was weaned from the G-tube to just one overnight feed um, and no nipple shield during the whole day uh, and gaining weight. So really exciting that we are, we are on our way. And I do want to share just some research really quickly about Down syndrome and breastfeeding. So it is really, really possible to breastfeed um, your infant with Down syndrome. So while they may fatigue e more easily at the breast, um, that's where it's important to just feed more frequently, um, because they're not going to be able to handle those longer ones. They're going to fatigue. And so feeding them more frequently can really help that. Um, also have to pay attention to, um, other associated conditions that come with down syndrome, such as congenital heart disease or low birth weight, um, because those can really attribute to poor feeding patterns as well. Um, you know, thinking about that low muscle tone makes it really hard to create that suction, um, and draw the milk out of the breast. And so that's why positioning and getting a really good latch is so important. Um, also, um, thinking about, you know, using the, um, in this case, we didn't have to, but thinking about using other, um, supplemental, like at breast supplements can be helpful as well while the infant is learning those skills, um, so that you're maintaining that bond and that, um, like practicing the skill while also ensuring that they are getting enough if they're not able to fully express the, um, milk from the breast. So, um, I just, I love to note that because it is possible 100%. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, we really need to think about, but, um, yeah. So that's where I like, it was really helpful to have both. <laughs> yeah. So with my case studies, actually both of these, I saw more as a lactation consultant, but I will say all of my nutrition background came in to play with both of these. Um, mine are shorter than Bree's because I've only seen them for like the past few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> um, my first one was a premature baby, about 35 weeks gestation, currently around that 37 week mark. Um, so we saw them in office on Monday. Mom is exclusively breastfeeding. Um, the baby is not really gaining, just maintaining we are back to birth weight, but we had an initial dip um, and we gained it back fairly quickly, but then we seemed to maintain after we gained back up to birth weight. So we've been at birth weight, I would say probably about a week now, but we're still not gaining past birth weight. So as far as the nutrition standpoint of things, I was able to discuss breast milk composition over preterm um, baby versus a term baby. So from the nutrition standpoint, it's going to be higher in protein and electrolytes and fat compared to milk from a full-term mom. A full-term mom is going to have a little bit more water content because we're not having to pack on the calories. 
Um, mom seemed very motivated. This was her third. She's breastfed beautifully on her other two. Granted, her other two were full-term babies. So this was a new experience for her to have a preemie. Um, and we discussed from the lactation side of things that, okay, um, preterm baby, their stamina is not going to be up there. Kind of like with the Down syndrome, they, they're just not going to have the stamina to stay latched long enough to fully empty the breast. So from my CLC side of things, I was able to talk about a different positionings that might help keep the baby latched for a little bit longer. Okay, so baby's not going to stay latched. We definitely need to pump whatever we're pumping. We can then supplement. Um, after a feed, we can use one of the syringes to either give it that way because at this point, mom, of course, doesn't want to do bottle. And we would agree that we probably don't need to introduce a bottle yet if we are wanting to exclusively breastfeed. Yeah, I would um, love to reiterate that point. I did the same thing with my little one. Like eventually we will work on bottle feeding, um, but you really don't want to introduce that bottle until breastfeeding is going well. Um, yes. especially if that's, you know, if you have a little wig, of course, if an infant is, is having a lot of difficulty, you need to look right. at those different avenues, but I would even rather just try some open cup drinking before I go to the bottle, um, yeah. with those infants. Definitely. So that's kind of where we're at with her. So she's now pumping after her feeds, um, just to maintain her supply at this point, because it's like Bree said, if we're not emptying the breast, then we're not going to stimulate to make more milk. So to get her supply up since we do have that preterm infant that doesn't have that stamina not gaining weight we definitely need to empty those breasts and we need to be feeding that baby what's coming out of the breast because that baby needs everything that's coming out of those breasts so that we are able to gain weight um next one i would say is an oversupply issue that i saw so this baby started off at like nine pounds or somewhere around nine pounds at birth. This baby is now 22 days old and 11 pounds. So whenever I did the math from the last visit, he had gained 52 ounces in roughly about two weeks. Wow. So say an ounce a day. So clearly, and this mom was talking about, okay, the baby kind of makes gulping noises at the breast. Um, just doesn't seem happy at the breast, pops off a lot. She talked about her breast spraying. So all the typical signs of, okay, you got a very fast letdown and you definitely have some oversupply issues. She also talked about how he stools very frequently. They're coming out shiny and often was her comments. So from the nutrition standpoint, I was able to give her advice regarding the rapid weight gain and the possibility of overfeeding with the excess of stools coming out. Um, and it was more of, she wasn't, we did a like feed and weigh with her. So we sat down, I watched her feed, we weighed to see how much baby was taking in. Um, you could definitely tell that she wasn't paying attention to the baby's cues because in her brain, she had, oh, the baby needs to feed for 10 to 15 minutes on each side not, oh, my supply is way up there. I have overactive letdown. So this baby is getting like two ounces in five minutes, which is plenty on that one side, especially if she's wanting to feed on both breasts. Um, so we discussed, okay, if you're wanting to do those 10 to 15 minute feeds, let's stick with one breast. Let's watch the baby. When the baby pops off and doesn't want to come back on, 
then that's when the baby probably wants to be done. Um, which then again leads to the oversupply issue of she doesn't feel that her breast is fully relieved. She can still feel the milk in there. So then we talked about pumping afterwards um, just to get that off, but not pumping too much to where we're still stimulating. Oh, I need more milk. I need more milk. I need more milk. Um, so hers was definitely more of not really reading those infants cues. Um, so from the nutrition side, I was able to discuss, you know, the excessive weight gain and let's read feeding cues, which feeding cues also kind of covered or crossed over into my CLC. But without the CLC, I would not have felt comfortable giving the advice regarding pumping and, okay, if we want to kind of nip this oversupply maybe in the butt, maybe not pump as much off so we're not stimulating so much. Um, but then I also said, if you're scared about the possibility of, hey, I'm about to go back to work because she did say she was going to go back to work in three to four weeks and she's wanting this extra milk, then okay, go ahead and let's store that milk. And then if we get to the point where we've got a ton, we can start donating milk. Um, but I felt like I was able to help her out a lot more having both rather than just looking at, oh, why is your baby upset after 10 minutes of feeding? Oh, why are the stools coming out so frequently? And they're coming out shiny and the baby seems gassy and upset. Um, both credentials came into play. Much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just like if, if we eat too much, you know, <laughs> we feel the same way. Not does not feel great. So yeah. And I think that's, um, another reason I love just, you know, this is off, 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 uh, topic, but one of the reasons I love working with infants is because it is so important to utilize responsive feeding from the start. Um, and so I love being able to, to do that. And oftentimes, um, as an SLB who works with more medically complex kids, I get to see them with breastfeeding, but then a lot of times I get to see them through starting solids as well. Um, and that's always really, really great because not only can I help them in their breastfeeding journey, but then I can continue on past that with the SLP side, as I'm sure you can with the RD side, especially too. Like, I think something that's I know you didn't mention this in those specific cases because obviously just started, but I can see it being so beneficial for those tube fed infants um, and you being able to provide that lactation support while also managing their tube feeds. Like that's going to be <laughs> really, really awesome to be able to, to utilize both. Um, yeah. So yeah. Anything else you think we missed? I feel like we covered it all, all the things, all the yeah. things definitely want to do an episode on like breastfeeding support, um, for our next season. Cause I think that we could talk through cases and stuff then on, you know, what we did, what different options are and how we kind of worked through it. So excited. for yeah. that. But, All right. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, uh, we'll talk again soon. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in on today's episode. We hope you'll continue to follow us along as well as reach out and follow us on Instagram at the feeding pod. If you enjoyed this podcast, we hope you'll take a second to leave a review. If you want to get Ash's CEUs for listening, plus more courses and resources, visit pediatricslplibrary.com. Wherever you are, whoever you are, we hope you have a great day.